Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyles here for CLNS Media, coming at you with the second episode of Pat's Daily today. It's been a busy week, so we need a couple Friday shows. This show, as always, is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. More from them later. But first, not only is it Senior Bowl week, but we had a pretty big hire for the Patriots. Also got some news in terms of what might be going on in the front office. Everyone's panicked because the Patriots don't have a GM. But I feel like we're getting a little better picture of what's going on in that situation, though, to help me break all of this stuff down you know him you love him the patriots own and member of the clns family evan lazar evan how you doing buddy that was a heck of an intro you're getting good at this <laughs> um, this is painful transition man it took a while uh, all right so you were down there in mobile for a while let me know yeah. just overall what was it like what were some big takeaways before we get into the meat of all this yeah, it, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed my experience down there. We were at the Shrine Bowl last year when the Patriots coaches uh, were down there, and it was really similar. I think for you, Taylor, it's a lot like training camp. Like you go, you watch practice, uh, you try to take in as much of it as you possibly can and see as much as you possibly can and then uh, write takeaways and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot like training camp from our perspective, but I think what's cool about it is you get this a lot more laid back attitude towards media, towards everything um, from the scouts, from the personnel people that are down there and uh, also from the prospects. So it's a cool little mini spring break almost in a, in a lot of ways for the NFL where uh, it's not quite as buttoned up as maybe us talking to macro at a podium or something like that during a media availability. Yeah, I didn't get to make it this year. One thing I was happy about was I got to record everything from NFL Network, so I got to actually break it down, which obviously would be awesome if we could do during training camp, but that has not been allowed so far. But then you guys actually got to get the access and be on the field and everything, which is pretty dope. I'm going to try to make it out next year. Uh, But before we get into Senior Bowl stuff, we had a pretty big hiring, as I mentioned, Alex Van Pelt has been named the offensive coordinator for the Patriots, former Browns offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. What did you think of the hiring? Because I was excited at first. Then it's like, all right, well, he hasn't called plays and he got let go for a reason. So, you know, I kind of sobered me down a little bit. And now I think I found a baseline where it's okay. Some of that, you know, has been reported that it might have had more to do with the upper levels than really what Stefanski wanted. So let me know what's your take on this. And are you fired up? Are you kind of neutral on it? Are you waiting to see what happens? What's good? Well, I think. I have some positives and some negatives like any hire, I would say, for a team that, let's face it, they interviewed 12 different people. So whether you want to say that they casted a wide net, you want to take uh, the negative slant and say that they couldn't get anybody to say yes to the job, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle that maybe their top candidates uh, turned them down, but uh, they wanted to cast that wide net and make sure that uh, they were – 100% sold on the person that they hired. Uh, This Van Pelt thing happened quickly, though. Uh, We had gotten word that he was in the building uh, yesterday, and then all of a sudden he was hired, like within a 24-hour period. So they really liked what he had to say, apparently, and didn't want him to leave the building, so to speak. So I think that's good. He also had some interest from other teams around the league. And I I think the biggest positive, and then I'm sure we'll get a little bit into the scheme stuff as well, but I think the biggest positive – is that he has some experience, uh, extensive experience 
uh, on the offensive side of the ball for a coach that is a young defensive minded coach. When that was a big thing for me, a 37 year old head coach, a 34 year old defensive coordinator, both doing their jobs for the very first time. You didn't want to have Gerard Mayo then also worrying about what the heck is going on with my offense as he's trying to figure out all the other things that are going on uh, from a, a personnel standpoint, a CEO standpoint, I guess is the best way to put it. So I like the fact that Van Pelt has been around the league. I like the fact that he's got some experience. And I think that outweighs a lot of the play calling uh, insecurities that people have. I'm not too caught up in the fact that he's never called plays because I think that that's something that he probably had a pretty big hand in anyways uh, in terms of the game plans and the installs and things like that. So I'm not so worried about that. I think the, the two things that, that concern me, uh, number one, uh, based off of what is coming out of Cleveland, it sounds like the higher ups made this decision because they need to make Deshaun Watson work. They paid Deshaun Watson a lot of money. Uh, he's owed a lot of money. Uh, he's not going anywhere in Cleveland. He is married to the Browns and the Browns are married to him. So in order to make it work, I think they wanted to move in a little bit of a different schematic direction. And why does that matter for the Patriots? Well, because if it's Jaden Daniels with the third overall pick in the draft, is AVP the type of guy that can build an offense around a mobile quarterback that maybe isn't an exact comparison to Deshaun Watson, but has a, some similarities to Deshaun Watson and certainly wants to be a scrambler and use his legs and things like that. So that's number one. And I guess number two almost goes hand in hand with number one is that when you look at this Browns offense, it's not all that different than what some of these other offenses that, uh, that are, the apple of everybody's eye right now. I think when I watch their film, especially the last couple of years, I see a lot of Detroit Lions in the way that they run the football with all the gap schemes and things like that. But unlike the Lions, uh, they don't use motion a ton, and they're not a very uh, light personnel team. They run a lot of heavy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think that the lack of maybe new bells and whistles is maybe the best way to put it. I'm not sure that they're on the cutting edge necessarily when we start to talk about all the nuances to offense. I don't see a ton of like, all right, we're going to motion over here to make this a four uh, you know, man surface instead of a three man surface. And we're going to flip the strength of the formation on the fly and then force defenses to fit it differently. And then all of a sudden you're thinking a bunch and play action, bootleg touchdown, right? Like we don't see a ton of that with the Browns offense, but I do love how much they, marry uh, their run game to their play action pass game and that's why they generate all those explosives with the play action it's funny because i feel like the opinions on the team are kind of split especially from the people who watch it like i know i've heard they don't marry the running play action very well but then i've also seen them do it and honestly i wanted to see the use of motion because i saw they were like dead middle of the league kind of like the yeah. pass they didn't use a ton but it was about in the middle so i'm like all right so what do they do with it I did notice that at times they got clever with it. Like early in the season with Watson, they did some really fun stuff, like trick play kind of thing. Funny you mentioned the Lions because there were some packages where they'd have that six offensive lineman right. and kind of use them in that jet motion. They got to hit you at the end of the line. That was pretty fun. Um, and you speak about the personnel groupings. I thought the same thing where, you know, they're known as just a heavy personnel kind of team. 
I didn't realize they played the third most 11 personnel in the NFL, which completely yeah. shocked me. And then when I looked in, all right, so why are they doing that? Like, what's the rhyme or reason? Turns out they have like one of the their top 10 in like run rate and play action rate. And they weren't efficient when doing it. A lot of that was because they led the league in giveaways. Like that's going to really hurt your EPA numbers and your efficiency numbers. But they're also yeah. really high when it came to runs and ex, um, explosive runs and explosive passes off play action when they're placing nickel defenses from those 11 personnel groupings. So, you know, the Patriots, obviously, one of the lowest 11 personnel teams in the league last year. A lot of that was his injury. So how do you think they're going to kind of marry, obviously, like how Greg Olson said, I'm going to keep using this throughout the offseason where your players define your scheme. Like if the Patriots end up drafting a bunch of good wide receivers, they're going to be a lot of 11. If they end right. up drafting and, you know, a couple good tight ends fall in their lap, they're going to be more heavy personnel. And also with the scheme, we talked about West Coast and Aaron Hart Perkins. I feel like it's kind of a misconception that they're totally different systems. They're really different languages, at least like from my perspective, because, you know, Aaron Hart Perkins is more like you say ghost and it tells everybody on the field what they or ghost tosser. It tells everybody what they need to do. West yeah. Coast is more like you have the main like Z scat and then you have much wordier verbiage. But right. besides that, how do you think like based on what they have now, they can kind of incorporate what Van Pelt was able to do, which is still a tough question because of all the different quarterbacks and all the injuries he had to work through. Yeah, the 11 personnel thing is a, is a great point because I feel like they almost have in a lot of these teams that are built this way, the McVay tree, Shanahan tree are like this, where they have a under center package and then they have like a gun spread package and they kind of pick and choose where to use both. Sometimes obviously you're going to use the gun stuff a lot more on third down, for instance, and then early downs is more of like the under center. So the one thing I did notice was that they use a lot of uh, that like jumbo 12, but with uh, Nick Harris, who's like a fullback slash extra offensive lineman, like you were talking about. Uh, so they're them and the Lions were near the top of the league in terms of six offensive line. They actually list Harris, who is a free agent, by the way. So we should pay attention to that. Okay, name. good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, he uh, they list him on their roster as a fullback slash center. So they, they list him as like both. And uh, so uh, Next Gen tracks them as an offensive lineman. So they, they call it 6-0 line. Uh, but they do a lot of that type of stuff, too. So I, I, I'm really fascinated to see how much of that was Stefanski and how much of that is AVP. And I think we'll figure out uh, as we move on here who was doing what and well, who why were they were doing it, right? So mm -hmm. uh, that will be interesting to see uh, as we move forward. I, I think the other point that uh, you were making – about the motion. I actually really liked how they used motion, right. even though they weren't using it a ton. I thought their motion was really smart and even their shifting, like they were, you know, shifting guys just a little bit outside uh, from an inside, you know, tight split. Short motion. Create, yeah. Yeah. Just to create a little bit more space into the boundary and stuff like that. So I thought that they, they were smart with their motion. They just don't run it like the Niners or the Dolphins where there's motion on every single play. Uh, so it's not I, a staple. I, they just kind of sprinkle it in. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more about uh, the, the EP system versus the West coast in terms of like the play calling language is really the biggest difference. I think uh, what a lot of people get caught up in when we talk about system versus play design, like play design, those are two different things. Like system is how you call your plays how you get in and out of plays at the line of scrimmage, your protections, like that's your language, what you speak, you know, English, Spanish, whatever. 
But then the play designs themselves is scheme. Like those are two separate buckets. And I think sometimes we think that the EP system is the type of actual play designs that the Patriots are running when really that's more about what they're speaking, what the language they're talking. And there is a ton of overlap between all these systems. Like every single system, for instance, I was just uh, working on my cutups. I'm sure you're doing the same for a, a more detailed frame breakdown. Every single team runs the dagger concept. Like every single team has middle read dagger. Every single team has sale. Every single team has all of these uh, types of concepts in their system, even if they talk it differently, if they get to it differently. So I, the biggest thing to me when it comes to the system was the Patriots, they put so much on the quarterback to communicate at the line of scrimmage. You know, you have to set the protections. You have to uh, change plays. You know, we have two plays called in the huddle. One's a pass, one's a run. You're checking in and out. Now you're resetting protection, resetting mics, sliding protection this way. Like, how much of that is Van Pelt going to put on people's shoulders, whoever the quarterback is? I think that's a big part of, uh, you know, a big question that I would love to ask him is, is that going to be the center? Is that going to be the quarterback? Because I do think that Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi got bogged down at times with how much information they had to process at the line of scrimmage, which I, I think is a little bit uh, archaic in how the Patriots used to do it compared to, let's say, LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay. Like, those guys don't put that much on the quarterback. Yeah, when we talk about motion, I think one very underrated aspect of motion is it's similar to that, where the pre-snap process takes a long time. First, you have to get out a play call, like if you're talking about the Rams, where that's going to yeah. have a shift, at least one motion, then you can change the play. And like a lot of the time, it's kind of like the Patriots, where the Rams were waiting until the play cocked that down to like five seconds. You're like, all right, right, let's snap the ball. So as much as you like having a lot of motion, everything like that, I think it's important to remember that the benefits are great when they work, but you can also doom your offense. if You spend all summer installing this huge motion package and then people like don't really know how to communicate it. And there's not a lot of chemistry. And then you get stuck with like a system like with the Patriots had where you're just not able to get in the right play in a timely manner. Anything else you want to talk about with uh, Van Pelt? Because I don't want to stop you. If you got anything else you want to get off your chest, let me know, or we can move on to the front office stuff. Uh, no, I, I, well, I think the one thing I wanted to to talk to you about was just I just loved watching the Browns run scheme, and they just run so many different types of schemes. You know, I'm a I, I'm a sucker for a good pin pull, you know, crack toss, uh, crunch, you know, like all these different types of trap or counter, whatever you want to freaking call it like all these different things that they run and i was so surprised at how little outside zone they run nowadays like they it's just nowhere near as much as it was uh, from what i remember when stefanski first got there so i think a lot of people myself included jumped to the conclusion of outside zone outside zone in this system uh, but they run a ton of gap they run downhill that's why i made the lions comparison because i feel like they use it a lot more like that uh, than trying to run outside zone at you but i i love that I, I i agree that i don't know why people thought i think they do a great job of marrying the play actions to it like they use the pullers you know a little bit of eye candy from the tight end slash h back uh, to draw in linebackers throw behind it uh, i thought they did a really nice job with the bootlegs uh hit all sorts of explosives and you were talking about personnel and how we move forward the other big takeaway, other than the offensive line, which I think is a given for everybody that they have to improve there, uh, is David Njoku and just how great he was, especially down the stretch for Cleveland. 
getting whether it's a bigger receiver like a Puka Nakua type or something like that, or it's a, a true athletic tight end like Njoku, I think that becomes a, a big area of need is that inside player that can make those explosive plays off of play action. Hello, Dalton Schultz. If we're talking about like draft and free agency, I feel like he's the only guy where you have the proven track. Honestly, very similar to Njoku where like he can block, but he's a really athletic tight end. He's going to have some drops that just make you bang your head against the table. But if they are really serious about getting like, all right, we need someone with explosiveness. Hunter Henry is great. Farrell Brown, who actually Van Pelt also has worked with. I found a clip at like three o'clock in the morning where he was actually yeah. talking about Farrell Brown. So you could bring them back. But I think you do need that explosive guy to really be the mismatch piece. And you mentioned the run game. The only reason I knew, like, because it's kind of similar with Shanahan and McVay, where the perception yeah. is they run a lot of outside zone. But only because when I was working with Next Gen, we're putting all this stuff together and I'm going through the stats. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're running a ton of gap. And no one talks yeah. about it because it's – you know, most people, it's hard to notice live. Like, if you're not really looking for it, it's not something you think about. You just hear, oh, outside zone, that's the system. But, yeah, they run a ton of gap. I think the outside zone was more for Nick Chubb specifically because he's just got that rare ability to hit the edge so fast. There's not yeah. a lot of backs that can really do that consistently. Um, but I knew that when they had Kareem Hunt, they would do a lot more gap stuff. So it was more like power, a lot more long trap, kind of stuff like that. So especially – we talk about um, the offensive line coach from Seattle. Help me out. Um, Dickerson. Andy Dickerson. Uh, Andy Dickerson. Yeah. I, keep, yeah. I keep wanting to say Alex, and I, I had to stop myself. The A's are getting me mixed up. But uh, I know he was, like, really inside zone heavy. I know today uh, Corey Kinnon, who does uh, work for the Browns Wire, he talked about how it's probably going to be very inside zone heavy. But realistically, it's whatever the offensive line is suited for. Like, I don't think yeah. we have to worry about Mike and Wenu, for example. I've heard, like, oh, he's not a fit. Unless you were trying to run pure outside zone, which I don't think the Patriots are in a rush to do because it just doesn't fit anybody in their scheme, really. He's fine. He can run yeah. wide zone. He can pull. Like, you want Mike and Winnie on your team. You work around him. You don't say, uh, our we're, scheme's too good for a Mike and Winnie. Like, you want to retain yeah. him. But, yeah, like the half-boot stuff where they'll, like, make it look like power and then come around. Like, I absolutely love their play-action package. I fully agree. We might have to do another show just on this the more we learn. how to have fun. But we got to move on. Yeah. So front office wise, we saw a lot of video of Matt Groh it was reported. He was in the video. Lad McConkey almost ran him over. Matt Groh was yeah. quite literally active on the field. So we know that he was the one involved in all the interviews. I think they interviewed like 20 people. They were pretty active down there. And then yep. we heard that Elliot Wolf was the one who was back with Gerard Mayo, obviously doing a lot of the head coaching interviews, which is a big part of Alex Van Pelt. They overlapped for several years in Green Bay. What's your read on that situation? How do you feel about it? Because I understand, and this is just the theme of this offseason, is we're not going to know what we don't know until we actually get to see it. Like, we don't know how good Matt Groh is at picking free agents until free agency starts. We're not going to know how well they draft until the draft starts. But Elliot Wolf has a much better track record than he's getting credit for. This is a guy who, yeah, like, you know, his dad, you don't want to, you know, give anybody credit because of who their dad is. But realistically, his dad is a Hall of Fame GM. Like it's, yeah. he's, you know, he understands from some level how to run the business that way. He worked with the Packers for a long time and the Packers specifically are an organization that builds through the draft where if they miss on a year, that's going to set them back for a while. So what are your thoughts on Wolf's role as we know it? And then Grohl's role as we know it and what he was doing down there. 
Yeah, you know, we talked to uh, to Macro, and I, I wrote a piece on Patriots.com with some quotes from him. And uh, we also talked to Cameron Williams, who's the Patriots college scouting director. Uh, I'm a big fan of, and, and I think he's he's got a really bright, bright future. A younger guy, understands the game, uh, really good at, at understanding, you know, wide receivers, talent, speed, like that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I think that he's hopefully going to have more of a voice here moving forward. But what I saw, uh, you know, down in Mobile and then knowing that that Elliot Wolf was back in Foxborough and what he was doing was uh, both guys playing to their strengths. I, I, I think Elliot Wolf is much more of the traditional I hate to put him in this category, but the traditional suit, right? Like he's the, he's the GM, like kind of the, the presidential guy. That's a really fun personality, a really nice guy to be around and uh, people enjoy, uh, you know, spending time with him and uh, he's a talker, you know, he's a little bit more of that schmoozer type. Right. And then Matt Rowe, (laughs) Uh, to, to you know, as a, a person of uh, cut from the same cloth, much more of that same that football nerd, right? Like just the guy mm-hmm. that wants to be on the sideline at the Senior Bowl watching Lad McConkey, and it could not care less about going to Davio's at Patriots Place with Alex Van Pelt, right? Like I, I think that that's sort of their strengths and why they make a really good team. And my guess is, is what we're going to see is sort of a split between those where macro is is running the draft and he's the one that's going to be at these events the senior bowl the combine the pro days you know things like that and then elliot wolf is going to be the one that's going to be negotiating contracts and meeting with coaches and uh you know recruiting free agents and like that sort of thing and i I think that that's uh, where they both are really thriving and i i I don't want to get too ahead of myself and say oh like you know it's going to work out this well but i I look at gerard and steve belichick for the all these years and how gerard was like the motivator he was the guy in front of the room he was uh the guy that was standing up in the meeting rooms and telling them this is what we got to do from a mindset perspective this is how we have to play the game we have to play fast physical this type of thing and then, and then Steve would come in and he would be like, this is the X's and O's. Like, this is how we're mm-hmm. going to actually execute the game plan and uh, what we're going to call and all that kind of stuff. And I look at that and I say, that's kind of how we're going the same way here is that macro is the guy with boots on the ground scouting on the trail. And Elliot Wolf is the one back home whining and dieting Alex Van Pelt, right? Like those are sort of the two different uh, types of personalities. So uh, we'll see how that goes. You know, that there's obviously a reason to be skeptical. And I certainly am. I'm sure you are as well. Uh, But at the same time, I can see how that's playing to both of these guys' strengths. And it's interesting because when you think of titles, like, you know, I understand the trepidation about not or not having a general manager, possibly waiting to get a general manager. I get it because you want to have a focused voice. But at the same time, if these guys can coexist and just are better in their own separate boxes, I feel like that warrants, you know, the crowd saying, okay, let's maybe watch. We don't know what their plan is, but it seems like it's let's watch how this plays out. If we really feel the need to get somebody to kind of focus things and maybe we can go do that. But for right now, let's let these guys have an opportunity to thrive on their own without Belichick's oversight. I also thought it was interesting that their titles kind of are opposite of what their roles are, where Elliot Wolf is a director of scouting, and he's the one who's, like you said, is working with coaches and free agents. And then um, Matt Groves, director of player personnel, where you typically think they're the ones handling free agency, is the one who's on the road and handling all uh, the draft prospects. So 
how do you think that's going to work out? Do you think that maybe at some point they'll reassign the titles? Because, I mean, it doesn't seem like these are guys – I mean, you have to have some kind of ego in this business. There's some level of pride. But it feels like they don't really necessarily care, like, who's up or wrong or whatever, as long as they get to do what they do best and have some, again, shared vision. Maybe right now that's what Gerard Mayo is giving them on what they want to do going forward. So how do you see the title situation working out? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because everything that we – are hearing it kind of seems like Elliot Wolf has almost jumped macro in the mm -hmm. pecking order where if you had to label somebody the GM of the Patriots right now you'd probably gravitate a little bit more towards Elliot Wolf's side of the street in that respect I, I think that in a lot of ways what they recognize is that macro probably a pretty good scout but maybe not the best in front of a camera not the best in you know in terms of doing kind of the statesman aspects of being a general manager and, and i think that elliot wolf maybe is a little bit stronger in that respect and obviously has a, a really extensive uh connections in the league both because of his father and because of his own uh career and resume so I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if we'll ever officially have a, a general manager under the crafts. It's I think it's been 31 years since they've had a general manager by title in the organization. Uh, but I, I do think that we will hear about Elliot Wolf's involvement a little bit more in some of the bigger picture decisions. And as macro is with Cam Williams and the scouting staff talking about seventh round draft picks, you know, the one that may be spending a little bit more of the money in terms of the veterans and things like that might be more Elliot Wolf's side of the street as we move forward. So I think your read on it is is accurate that uh, it almost doesn't make sense based off their titles. Uh, but I, I think that both guys in macro, especially, and I'm just, this is just my, my hunch and me talking, I think that he might honestly feel better about it, not being like out in, in the GM sort of roles as much anymore and just kind of getting back to his roots of scouting college players and things like that. Obviously, again, we don't know what we don't know, so we have to wait and see, but I really like how this system's working out so far. And again, when you even look at the staff hirings, we don't know a lot about Jerry's or Jeremy Springer, but I don't know. I kind of like where they're going so far. We'll see what happens when player acquisitions start happening and we really get a better idea for the philosophy, but interesting. All right. Now we're actually going to get into some senior bowl stuff, but before we do, Quick word from our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets. Which players will score a touchdown? How many points will be scored? And so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. 
All right, so you got to see a lot of these senior bowl prospects up close and personal. So let me know who stood out to you most and then kind of blend this into who do you think stands out as potential Patriots fits? Still, we're still trying to figure out the scheme, but just in terms of best players, guys, who you think would fill holes that they have? Because we got the Demario Douglas, right? We got the electric undersized slack guy, but who could maybe fill in that Z role, the X role? They could take whoever they wanted offensive tackle because they don't have anybody right now. So who stands out to you in some of the big positions? Well, I would definitely say that those two position groups stood out the most. And maybe I was just as focused on those position groups the most. So I'll, I'll put that caveat in. I got to admit, Taylor, like my interest in the defensive players in this draft is just not all that high. I, I understand that they have some needs on that side. I wouldn't even call them needs, but they just have to keep the cupboard stocked in some areas on defense. Obviously, if they lose some of their edge rushers, for example, they're going to probably need uh, to supplement Keon White with another body. Uh, they could probably use a, a pure free safety, but I'm not sure how much we're really going to use that as a premium top 100 pick to fill that that role, especially if they retain Kyle Duggar. So I'm, I'm a lot focused, I think, as everybody is on, on the offense. So I would start with the receivers. I think what you really saw in Mobile – with a group and it's similar with the tackles. There's no Marvin Harrison Jr. There's no Roma Dunze. There's no Malik Neighbors. There's none of those types of guys in this in these all-star showcases. Yet there's playmakers all over the field at the same time. And it really just puts into perspective how deep uh, this receiver class is. I think all the flowers going Roman Wilson's way are are more than fair. And you talk about that Z role. I think that he would be great as maybe a more uh, full-time, well-rounded player. I, I, we all love Pop Douglas. I love Pop Douglas. Uh, but I'm not sure if he's necessarily that high-volume, you know, top-two receiver in your offense. I love him as like a slot gadget type of receiver. I think that that's really where his his perfect role is in a, in a proper pecking order in an offense. So I look at a guy like Roman Wilson. I've made the comp to Amon Ross St. Brown before. I just see a lot of the same, like, silky, smooth, efficient, quick, sudden, but also just extremely uh, crafty with his route running. It can really separate in a lot of different ways. Like, imagining him, you know, coming into stacks, coming into bunch alignments, stressing leverage, things like that, keeping him away from press coverage. I think that he would absolutely eat in that type of role in the NFL. And I, I would also say similar things about Lad McConkey, who I thought was really good. Uh, I know he's got a lot of praise from his teammates and things like that, where if he's one of those technicians that if you can keep him away from press coverage and just allow him to uh, break down at, at the top of the route and get open, uh, he's going to get open a, a good amount and be a good chain mover. Uh, I think that the Patriots though could look at some of these outside guys too. I, I think that's a, I need as well. And I got to admit, Brandon Rice, uh, Jerry Rice's son ha had a nice week down there. He really did. And uh, first day, it was a lot of like contested catches, jump balls, you know, back shoulders, that type of thing. And then the second and third days, I thought he showed a little bit more quickness and separation ability just for a six foot two, six foot three receiver. And I, I like, I saw you tweeting a little bit about Ricky Pearsall. I, I think he's got something to his game as well. Uh, I would I would uh, circle him too, but uh, those four guys I, I think really stood out at the receiver position, and I think all those guys are going to be available in you know rounds two through four, uh, which is why 
as much as we all love the top receivers and Marvin Harrison Jr. and things like that, I, I still feel myself being like, there's so many receivers in this class. You know, there's going to be 20 guys that are going to go in the top 100 potentially. I, why, you know, it might not be a, a need to just go run right up and take Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, and you talk about Brendan, <clears throat> excuse me. You talk about Brendan Rice. I feel like this team, no, I don't feel like it is true. They don't have an ex receiver. You know, you have Devontae yeah. Parker on the roster technically. We don't even know if he's going to be on the roster come the opening day. It's just when you think about the effort, the product that we saw in the field, he had a bit of a rejuvenation under Zappi. But looking forward, they need somebody in that role. He also didn't play a lot of the snaps. And you could bring back Jalen Rager. I don't think you want to do that where X is pretty much just like a position you don't really think about unless they get a one-on-one matchup you like. So I'd love Brendan Rice in that role. The other guys, Roman Wilson, Ricky Pearsall, Lad McConkie. I was thinking the same thing. We're in like a stack or a bunch would love them in passing situations with somebody like a Pop Douglas. And also, I think they have the size where if you're going with more heavy packages, they can be that Z where you can actually, like, you know, insert them into the run fit and actually let them yeah. get physical and block guys. And then once guys bite up and get aggressive, then you have them torch them downfield. I really like them in those kind of Z slash slot roles. Another guy who I think is like a tier below, Jamari Thrash. Now, had some drops. There were some things there that I thought were kind of shaky, but the suddenness, the explosiveness – it was not like a Julian Edelman. It's just, you know, the kind of role where he's running, like I think he ran a juke route. Um, yeah. It kind of reminded me of him with just an extra gear. What did you think about him? Because you got to see him a little bit uh, closer. I was really impressed with what I saw from him in one-on-ones. Yeah, his first level suddenness is definitely there. And that's, I think, something that the Patriots always gravitate towards. But I think even now in this new offense, so one of the things I always – I was noticing about the Browns is how often they were in like third and medium or shorter, just because their run game kept them ahead of the chain so often. And third down really wasn't like an explosive down for them. Third down was it's third and five. Let's just get six yards and then we'll go to first down and we'll hit the big play off of the play action then. So they just are going to look at it that way uh, moving forward. Uh, with Van Pelt, then maybe they are looking for more of just those little jitterbug chain movers, you know, that can pick up uh, those first downs and create separation against man coverage. I, I think a bunch of those guys uh, that we mentioned uh, fit that mold. I, I think there's other names too, like, you know, that people are going to hear Xavier Leggett, uh, Tez Walker, uh, those players. I, I thought both of them struggled to create separation consistently. And that's just not my cup of tea. Uh, when I when I look at Leggett, like I think the the ceiling comps for him are a lot of people are like a Debo Samuel type because he does have mm-hmm. that explosiveness and that thickness. And the first thing that stood out to me when I saw him was just how freaking huge that guy is. You know, he's a squatty, like six foot one, two hundred and twenty five pound receiver. Looks like a running back uh, right. playing wide receiver. Just big, big shoulders. Uh, but at the same time, I I, I look really lacked just all the routes you know the first day he's just running go routes like four straight times and one-on-ones it's like if all you can do in a one-on-one is run a go route and hope you run by somebody then that's probably not uh going to work in the nfl so i i really hope that uh that they stay away from those types of players tez walker was was really disappointing to me i i thought that tez walker was going to be a guy that was going to really pop in these practices speed guy you know light contact type of practices and uh, he struggled to separate too. So uh, I would maybe stay away from those guys based off of my, my at least impressions of these practices. I don't want to sit here and overrate three practices that we saw in, in the senior bowl, but 
that's sort of how I feel about those two. And uh, lastly, uh, did, what did, did you look at uh, Johnny Wilson at all from Florida State? Because that is such a unique player. And uh, Barth and I were talking about him. And I don't know if he has a position, and that scares me a little bit in the NFL. Uh, you know, I feel like those types of guys try to kind of end up bouncing around because coaches are just trying to figure out how to use them, you know, and what's their best role. Uh, but not a lot of guys that are six six and can run a four four. That that's not a, a that's a pretty rare combination. He reminds me of if Mike Kosicki was actually a wide receiver, <laughs> like where you yeah. you don't really. I, that's put exactly him in what line. I said as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you like you don't really want to put him in line. If you have him like blocking in the run fit, it's more like he's a Z, which kind of yeah. reminded me of like a Juwan Jennings type, where like they're not super yeah. fast, you know, yeah. but they have that physicality. They're going to catch everything. Like Johnny Wilson has some just insane catches on his tape. I also like some of his, I hesitate to say suddenness, but for his size and what you're expecting when you're just watching this like long ass dude running routes and eating cushion, I kind of yeah. like how he sets guys up in his stem. He understands, right? Let me try to get his hips turned, let me get him on his toes. And now, obviously, with that size, like I saw guys keep trying to play like press, uh, catch press technique where you wait yeah. for him to come to you and then you get physical. And it's just like, no, that's not going to work. Yeah. Like, yeah. you really have to more mirror him and get one of those more where you're like trying to grab his arm and really just stay in position rather than trying to get into like a boxing match because he's going to blow by you. But he didn't stand out a ton. Like, I didn't notice him at all in team drills, you know, also watching on TV. There's some stuff that we don't really get to watch. Um, right. But in one-on-ones, you know, I thought after the first day where I thought he was just okay, I thought he started to kind of get some positive momentum going. And then with Leggett and um, – who's the other one? And um, and Walker, I felt the same way. Like, Leggett, I, I understand the excitement, but in that Devo mold, he seems more like a good athlete. And he's also like he can catch. So I think he's a good football player. I don't know if he's a good receiver. Right, where like Debo and like Brandon Ayuk, it's like Debo is an elite yeah. football player as a receiver, he's solid, like he's pretty good. And then you see Ayuk, and you're like, Yeah, if you watch those two like run routes, they're very different types. That's kind of what I got from Leggett. And then with Walker, I just I, the contact, man, I really do wonder, yeah. like you said, you don't want to overrate three days of practice, but this is the biggest stage he's going to be on until the draft. Other than the combine, of course, but when you talk about like you're playing against other guys and to see that day after day, he seemed to just be in his head. Anytime there was a guy like right on his hip, he would drop stuff right? like the ball would be right there. And you're thinking he's going to catch it. You saw the smoothness. You saw some of the explosiveness. And I was also disappointed. You know, I hope he can get it together. And uh, unfortunately, I just feel like that might hurt his stock. Not crazy. I don't think he's going to fall around, but I think teams are going to think again where, um, Daniel Jeremiah mentioned on the broadcast where a lot of the common thread with these young receivers that succeed is toughness. And yeah. I'm not saying he's not tough, but I mean, I don't want to say it, but the mental toughness wasn't exactly on display. Yeah. He dropped a lot of passes too, which surprised me because he would make these catches like outside his frame that he would extend and make really nice catches. And then he would just drop these like easy focus drops. Like he had that drop on uh, that Penix throw on that corner route along the sideline. And it's, it's just right here, but then the next play he'll, t he'll catch a slant that's like all the way over his head and he'll go up and get it. And it's just, I don't know, it was all, kind of all over the place where, for him. And I agree with you uh, with the contact. That That's definitely a good point. All right, now let's nerd out for real. Offensive tackles, another yeah. position, like we mentioned, crazy deep in this class. So deep, in fact, that I think my favorite prospect, like relatively speaking, you know, you had the big name guys, like, you know, Patrick Paul, I honestly thought kind of was – 
upsetting. And it's also because of the technique he uses. He likes that hug technique where you expose your chest and you're basically just trying to yeah. not get beat side to side. But it's like, yeah, but if you're getting put in the quarterback slap, you didn't really win. Like, I don't know how often you want to use that. But, you know, you also saw he had dominant reps. So I think that's more of a technique thing. Um, then you obviously had um, the uh, uh, Tyler Guyton. Just yeah. Monster up and down. You know, the second day, I think guys started to kind of get his number and there were some more competitive battles. The edge defenders really did start to make it more of a fight after that first day where the tackles dominated. But to that point where I'm saying like the depth, Travis Glover didn't even participate till the second day because somebody got hurt. And I was like, who the hell is this? I had to ask Alex who it was because he wasn't on the roster. And I didn't recognize, I'm not a big college guy. I didn't recognize the logo on the helmet. So I'm like, I have no idea how to even figure this out. I loved his patience, his length. You see the technical issues, but he's the kind of guy where I'm like, if they do get someone like an Andy Dickerson who can really get the most out of a player like that, I would be really intrigued if he ended up coming to New England in like the fifth round or something like that. Maybe, I don't know if it's going to sneak into the fourth, but I thought he had a good showcase. But who stood out to you most from the offensive tackle? I know Christian Jones was one of your guys. Yeah, Christian Jones definitely did stand out, just the size and the play strength. And you mentioned the the hugging technique with uh, Patrick Paul, which is the same thing that I saw. I saw it with a couple of these guys, uh, him, Jordan Morgan, uh, who I, I wasn't as impressed with uh, in terms of pass blocking. A lot of these guys play with wide hands. A lot of these guys exposing their chest. And the one thing I thought about Christian Jones, is he had a great hand placement, you know, really punch inside firm punches uh, into the chest of the, of the edge defender. And I uh, did a really nice job in a lot of the edge setting drills that the, uh, the American team was doing. I wish the national team did a little bit more of those. The American team cared more about running blocking it seems like they were doing like base blocking and double teams and things like that uh so uh christian jones i i thought was uh, impressive uh, just really long uh all the tackle trades that you would want from a measurable standpoint i look t- tyler guyton stole the show like I, I think a lot of nfl teams and the people i was around uh just list, trying to you know eavesdrop as best as i could in some of those scouts and things like that uh they were talking a ton about how good tyler guyton uh, was in these practices. And I think a lot of what people were reminding each other of was uh, that he's relatively new to the position and he's already uh, this good and his athleticism is translating, even though he's added weight to be a tackle versus a tight end. Uh, so I, I think that there's a lot to like about him. You know, uh, Fugawa, the uh, kid from Oregon State, uh, really like a technician. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily... Uh, see him as physically imposing as some of the guys we're talking about, uh, but really sound technique. And uh, you saw just really good uh, understanding and kind of a planning of how to use his hands and independent hand usage and throwing different punches at guys and things like that, which I thought were impressive. You know, there was other guys that I wasn't as impressed with, but uh, you know, I could see being okay, solid NFL players, you know, like the kid from BYU, who I always butcher his last name, uh, Kingsley. Kingsley Suomaitai? Is that yeah, it? That's close enough. Uh, okay. Suomaitai, <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Uh, really wide-bodied, you know, tough to get through, uh, really good power in the run game. You obviously worry a little bit about his foot speed and his ability to protect his edge, but if you're just putting him in, like, a traditional – downhill gap scheme patriot type scheme at right tackle like that i think would, would be perfectly fine for a player like that so you look at this class and yeah there are going to be some guys that are going to be high-end potential elite starters like i think guyton has that potential if he gets with the right coach in the right system uh, but there's also a lot of guys i thought taking away from this that you could get 
day two, day three, that might be just really solid, uh, well-rounded NFL starters down the line. So I, I think that that's where the Patriots should really think about in this draft at times, maybe even double dipping at that position, because I do think it's a really good year for tackles. Absolutely. Another couple guys I just wanted to, if you had any thoughts, I know they didn't get like a ton of reps. Javon Foster did get quite a few of the Missouri tackle. I liked what I saw from him. All these guys I feel like were pretty up and down. Like even Tyler Guyton, the best of the bunch, had his losses. But I thought Javon Foster, I liked his competitiveness, his physicality. He stood out to me. And then Delmar Glaze, I know he got some reps inside as well. Um, Did have some pretty ugly losses. I feel like that's the biggest thing where it's up and down. You want to see who's just like, really getting smoked for sell off and they win. I thought Glaze was probably more on the losing end, but also the positives I really did like. Any thoughts on those two? Foster, I, I definitely noticed his physicality and his effort and his competitiveness. And when we were talking to, I mentioned earlier, talking to Cam Williams, and uh, one of the things that really stood out to me with that conversation was he said that the offensive line is like the lifeblood of your team. Like that's a tone of your team. And uh, so much of that, he said, was like about toughness and physicality and effort and things like that. So you see a guy like Foster uh, who, who will get in, get a little bit chippy, might get on the line there a little bit, but I'm okay with that for an offensive lineman. Like you do want your lineman playing through the whistle. You do want your lineman taking no nonsense. And I, I think that you look at the teams that are left standing here towards the end of the playoffs, you know, the, the obviously the two teams in the Super Bowl, but also the Lions, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, like these are teams that have really good physical offensive lines that are, are really setting the tone for the rest of the team and how they want to play. And I, I think that that's a big part of uh, uh, what a lot of these guys you come away from. And I think part of the reason, look, I we're both, I think, you know, jury's still out on Cole Strange and we'll see what ends up happening with him in the new regime. But that is one of the things you can give Cole, right, is that he, he's somebody that will play through the whistle and and isn't afraid to, you know, get himself into a little bit of a scrap every once in a while. And, I, I you know, you kind of need that, I think, a little bit. Yeah, and you mentioned that I'm just going to plug Travis Glover one more time. You talk about the, like, not taking any crap. There was that one rep where he got locked up with somebody, and they almost got into it. And then the coach kind of pushed him aside. He's like, yo, yo, calm down. He's like, yeah, I'm not backing down. I ain't no, mm. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. let's go, bro. That's it. And then I saw some clips. I forget who it was from on Twitter, where he's just, he's nasty on the field. Like, he finishes blocks. One of those dudes who really relishes punishing the other guys. I love that. Um. Before we get to quarterbacks, because I know, honestly, not a ton to talk about from that group. I feel like which of the tight ends stood out to you? Because I thought Ben Sinnott was one guy, especially on that last day when they were doing red zone drills. He really stood out where he had a couple routes where he faked like he was going to the flat the first time, used a great head fake, and then turned it up, got both feet in bounds. Another one where he ran kind of a whip in, showed like decent, you know, Ben for a big guy. I kept reading all these things about how he's kind of stiff. And sure, you see that for sure. And I, But I do think he's got that – Hunter Henry, modern Hunter Henry kind of thing, where I think if you teach him some technique and he's just better at knowing, like, I need to use my physicality and help me separate, I feel like he could be a dude who's a really good, like, chain mover red zone threat kind of guy. Yeah, he was definitely the tight end that stood out to me, and he was making plays in team drills too, which is what you always want to see. As much as we all love watching the one-on-ones, you know, you got to be able to do it in eleven-on-eleven. And I, I thought that he was a really productive all week long. A good, reliable hands uh, had that ability to use some of his body and you know frame to kind of box out at the catch point. And and did I, I agree that he separated maybe even a little bit more than I expected and. Uh, then delivered some really good run blocks. And I know that he's somebody uh, that can r- block from 
different alignments, you know, fullback, H-back type of alignments, uh, blocking space a little bit. So you look at this scheme that they're probably going to gear towards now, and you think of guys like, you know, Harrison Bryant, for example, that has some athleticism that can uh, block in space, that can, uh, you know, r- run that H-back, you know, off-the-line type of role and come across a formation on like a, a super counter or, or, you know, inside zone or, you know, insert or whatever. And uh, I thought that Senate ha- definitely had that ability. Theo Johnson from Penn State, uh, fast kid. Uh, every single time they flashed up those like zebra, uh, you know, ratings and stuff like that, he was always at the top of the list in terms of play speed and things like that. So uh, I think that that's a, another guy that maybe more of like a receiving type, not necessarily uh, like Senate, who's uh, I think a, a blocker slash receiver. Uh, blocker first. I I would say that Theo Johnson, if you're looking for a pure just seam stretcher, uh, that's I, I think somebody that stood out a little bit as well. That makes sense. And then you mentioned like Harrison Bryant with the Browns, where they don't have a technical fullback or not. You know, at least when you yeah. look at PFF, there's nobody who's listed as a fullback. But they're one of the highest teams when it comes to using eye pers- or eye formations, where you have a right. fullback, whether he's off to the side or right behind between the quarterback and the running back. And then when you think about last year, like imagine how much more effective the run game. Obviously, all the offensive line injuries they were what they were. But if you had someone like a Senate rather than a Gasicki, who did I think kind of get a bad beat just because he didn't have anybody who could take advantage of his size consistently but if you yeah. had somebody like that who you got hunter henry and Farrell brown and then you got a third guy who he can motion into the backfield you know he can pull do all these different things i feel like he's someone who could make that run game a lot more fun and kind of give you that little bit of youth that you really do need at the position because you know hunter henry and Farrell brown probably aren't going to be around for more than a year or two now we'll close out uh this part with quarterbacks who did yeah. you think looked good uh i felt like Personally, Rattler and Milton showed me more than I maybe expected from them. Michael Penix Jr. thought he had a really good day in red zone period. He had the three touchdowns, obviously. One was pretty easy. One I thought he showed really nice anticipation. It was that arches where he just threw it to the running back like well yeah. before he got out of the break. Then the one in the back to Luke McCaffrey. Uh, but the other guys I thought were fine, like Sam Hartman. I thought it was funny. His day two and day three, I was trying to track these days. They were identical. He was great throwing short, had two bad misses deep, and then scrambled for good yardage. I'm like, that's consistency, if anything. And then, you know, Carter Bradley and Michael Pratt, they had their moments. But overall, I was like, yeah, this is why these are the guys where you're not really going to hear too much about them. Yeah, I I was – look, with Penix, I I feel like there's a lot of all over the board on Penix right now coming out of these practices. I was with you where I thought, just from my view of it, that he was fine. Like, he wasn't – over the top great and he wasn't terrible and i don't think he hurt or helped his stock i think he hit it right down the fairway which is there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that it just wasn't a 400 yard drive right like it just, and that's totally fine uh but then i read a lot of you know people that i respect like a daniel jeremiah or something like that who's like gushing about how good Penix was in these practices so I, I don't know. I mean, when I say I, I, I think the one thing that you did take away from from talking to people down there was that Penix was really impressive to teams behind the scenes, you know, in the interviews, right, yeah. uh, how he was running the offense, uh, those types of things. And I, I think the one thing that all teams are going to gravitate towards him. Look, the medicals is the most interesting thing. Every single time you brought up Michael Penix to somebody in Mobile this week, it was I can't wait to see what his medicals are. Like, that's going to be fascinating. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see what the doctors say, that sort of thing. But 
uh, I think one of the big things that you want to learn throughout this process, look, these guys are in a new offense. They've never thrown to these receivers before. It's an all-star game. It's a showcase. It's not an environment where you expect people to completely come in and rip it up. And I think what a lot of teams look for is, A, how do you adjust quickly on the fly to a totally new offensive system and a more pro-ready system as well? You know, a lot of these guys – Penix, Bo Nix, they're playing in these like college spreads where like it's not there's not a ton of overlap at times with NFL systems like how many times did those two guys play under center in college like you could probably count it on two hands it's like five like literally I think they're all under like 10 snaps under center right. or something like that right so you get to do all these things for a first time or at least the first time with exposure to nfl scouts so i think a lot of the the takeaways from teams and this is probably where dj is getting his uh intel from is that Penix was really strong behind the scenes great interviewer great worker that sort of thing which i think was really a, a, a feather in his cap i'm with you though like in terms of actually throwing on the field I thought Rattler and Milton were the two best. And I thought Rattler uh, was really the most consistent out of the entire bunch. Uh, not only just actually throwing the ball with accuracy, but but willing to push the ball down the field a little bit and make some of those like deep hole shots and things like that. So I was impressed with him. I just wish he was bigger. Like I, I he's like a shade over six feet tall. I, if he was six three, six four, then I would be like, all right, we should be talking about this guy a little bit more. Uh, but uh, maybe it's just Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones PTSD. But I just need a quarter. Like, can we have a quarterback that's like six four, six five again, please? And and not one of these guys. So that was my only knock on him. And uh, with Milton, I, I was incredibly impressed. Like, I his tape at Tennessee. Uh, no offense, is 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 not good. Like, it's not good. The, the ball sprays all the over. Uh, his accuracy is not good. Uh, his decision making, his timing is late uh, to a lot of throws. And in this, he was on time. Uh, he was fitting balls into tight windows. Uh, I was really impressed. So uh, maybe uh, he's somebody that, let's say they go the the veteran Baker Mayfield type of route in free agency or something like that. Not something I would necessarily want to sign up for, yeah. but <laughs> or maybe this will, will be better for people. Uh, you know, if they draft Jaden Daniels and they want to do the RG3 Kirk Cousins thing where they want to kind of hedge their bets and have uh, two guys that they come out of this draft with maybe Joe Milton, somebody in like the fourth or fifth round that you could wrap your head around. Especially Joe Milton, like in, of course, we never want to look too much into the person in the evaluation. Like that is very important. And that can be, you know, a difference maker, but at the end of the day, you're looking at the prospect that said, Milton, anytime he was listening to coaches, I loved how attentive he was. Like you could tell yeah. he was locked in when he was talking to his teammates, like before he had that one pad interception. But before that, he goes out and he communicates what's going on. I was really impressed with him because he's someone I hadn't really watched a ton of him. I hadn't really seen any of his games or anything. So I didn't really know who he was. But that was one thing I was impressed with where it kind of reminded me of Penix, where it was like this dude. He's fine. Like he's clearly yeah. confident. He's a leader. And I felt like, did you hear anything about that? Were people talking about it? Or is that something maybe just on TV that I noticed? No, I, I, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that stood out to a lot of people too, is just a little bit of swagger. Like he just carries yeah, that's it. confidence that's it. and swagger. Yeah. Uh, he made a throw. I don't know if they caught it on TV. He made a throw up the seam in seven on seven. I think it was to Sinnott and it really nice throw, nice throw and catch. And he did a backflip afterwards they didn't like, i couldn't find it 
Yeah, as like a celebration, he just does a back, like a standing backflip. And then uh, later on, he like, he threw a, a pass into the flat. And I think the biggest thing is, and you say that like, oh, Evan, come on. He's like, guys wide open in the flat. But one of the biggest knocks on, on Milton was that he couldn't take any velo off the ball. Like it was just all a 99 mile an hour fastball. And all he could do was uncork it. And he had no touch and no timing and that sort of thing. And he read the coverage perfectly. It was a little like just curl or slant flat, read it out, uh, threw it out into the flat, hit the guy in stride, turned up field, made a, a nice play on it. And he just did a little like, you know, like basketball, like, uh, you know, Steph that. Curry moment or something like that. And it just those little things that like you can catch at times off to the side was just like, this is a guy that's kind of feeling himself a little bit and, and has some confidence and some swagger. And I, I don't I don't hate that at the quarterback position. That's infectious, man. I was sitting in my living room kind of feeling it. I was like, okay, look at me watching my film. I feel you, Joe Hilton. I got some of that energy. All right, man, I'm going to get you out of here. We've been going for a long time. Last thing, let me know who people should be watching at home during this actual Senior Bowl game. We talked about a lot of guys. If you want to bring anybody up just to reiterate, there's somebody we haven't covered. Fire away. Give me like three or five guys. Yeah, so I think the tough part is is I, I'm not 100% sure who is actually going to play in the games and who and who's not going to tap out at this point. But I would just I would start with some of these receivers. You know, I, I don't think Roman Wilson is going to play. I think he he's done. But uh, I would look at those guys and and just take it from like a, a clean slate and just recognize just how much receiver talent there is in this in this class. And just remember, keep your mind in that. Uh, you know, mind frame of when we started talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. and even like some of the other guys like Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze, you know, those are great prospects, but the Patriots have a glaring need at the most important position, and that's quarterback. And you're you're gonna have to fall in love with one of these day two guys. Like I'm just telling you that right now. So I'd look at those guys and just quickly because we didn't touch a lot of the defensive players. Uh Quinion Mitchell from Toledo is going to go in the first round. He pretty much solidified himself as a top 20 player. Uh, but there were some corners, uh, you know, Cam Hart from Notre Dame, I thought had a really good week. Physical outside corner uh, that can play on the boundary and can play press man. And the Patriots, uh, who other, you know, you have Christian Gonzalez. We're all really excited about that. And then you have, uh, Jonathan Jones to kind of play that, you know, uh, Z, you know, shadow slot type of role. But who's the third outside corner? Like, is are we really, are we that sold on Alex Austin that we're, we're putting them out there next year as basically a starter, right? As a, as a third corner. Uh, obviously, Jack Jones doesn't exist anymore. JC Jackson, I, I don't think is going to be on this football team. Uh, so, a guy so Marco like Marco Wilson, Isaiah Bolden, like it's a, it's right. a, it, they got bodies, but they have a ton of unknowns as well. Yeah, so a middle round guy like a Cam Hart, I I wouldn't hate uh, in that spot. And uh, there was a couple of really good uh, uh, defensive linemen that that practiced this week as well. And I, I'm of course uh, I'm blanking on the kid from Texas who like refused to weigh in because he weighs like 360 oh, yeah. pounds. Uh, oh, he's yeah. somebody that. If they are going to still play like an odd front three, four type of defense, uh, I would look out for him in the game because he had some dominant, dominant reps. Uh, Layden Robinson. No, Layden Robinson. Is that it? Oh, no. I said the same name. I'm stupid. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I can't. Whatever. It's fine. They got rosters. You guys can find them at home. I got to get Evan out of here. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for joining. As always, had a blast. It's Tavondre. 
Sweat. It's Devondre Sweat. Devondre Sweat. I, I knew I'd get it eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 okay, good. That's why you're the best, buddy. All yeah, right, yeah. let the people know. They know where they can find you. Just go on Patriots.com. He's right there. He's all over the place. But let the people know what you got coming down the pipeline so they got something to look forward to. <laughs> right there. There you go. I can never uh, do that, yeah. right? Yeah, you can find me at uh, Easy Lazar, obviously, right there. But yeah, Patriots.com. We did an emergency podcast today on the coordinator news. That was a lot of fun. Uh, We obviously have Patriots Catch 22 with myself and Barth. Uh, That's on Thursdays. Uh, So go ahead and check out those pods. And, uh, you know, when you're not checking out this pod, of course. Thank you, buddy. Once again, appreciate your time. Appreciate you all sticking with me for two shows. Y'all are the best. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. We'll see you next time. Peace, y'all.